Hey, there is nothing wrong with clapping to a good song like that. Thank you, Jay Lake. Appreciate you, brother. I'll tell you what, that line there, there's no shame in looking like a fool when I give you what I can't keep and take a hold of you. I had this experience this week where I lived out that line. Um, I'm researching the psalm that we're going to be in today, which, which as, you'll see, as you'll see, we'll talk about God's uh, declaration of his glory to us through his creation. And I walk outside. I often go to SPU to do my sermon prep, uh, South Pacific University. They've got a great campus, lots of gardeners, so it looks pretty good. And so I'm looking around, and I'm listening to my music, actually a song that we'll play at the end of the service tonight. Got my headphones in. Uh, there's not a lot of people on campus because it's the summer. Uh, just read the psalm, studying the psalm. And you know what? I just start dancing right there in the middle of SPU campus, okay? Right by Ames Library, if you have been to the campus. I'm just dancing in the middle of this courtyard to my music all by myself. I don't think anybody's around, but, you know, there's people lurking in the shadows and probably watching me. But she said, you know what I said? I don't care about looking like a fool because I'm experiencing in this moment a connection with the author of creation. I'm seeing things in a way that, that, that I don't often see because I think I'm filled with the word of God. I've got the song of God in my ear uh, and his spirit filled me and so I started dancing. And I said, you know what? There is no shame in looking like a fool. I, ho I hope if you hang around Sedaris long enough, you get over the need to always have it together and you just let yourself go and you feel that there's, you know what? There's no shame in looking like a fool when it means the difference between having God and the fullness of what he wants to give you and not having him, okay? So there's nothing wrong with clapping for a good gospel song like that, all right? The big idea, as we'll see today, will tell us that I think so often we miss out. We just get just a sliver of what God wants to give to us through this world that he has created. You know, we're such an outdoorsy culture, right? We're like the REI culture. And, and we love to be outside. We love to be in the mountains. But I fear that, that because our posture towards nature is, is just a little bit off, we're actually missing out on what God's trying to communicate to us. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. When we fail... To, to communicate with God well through His creation. We're actually missing out on the real message that He's trying to give to us. So we're going to look at that. So if you've got a Bible, would you turn with me to Psalm 19? We're in this series, the Summer of Psalms. We're going to be walking through a psalm every week for the rest of this summer, probably till about mid-September. And we said last week that the Psalms will teach us about life, and they'll teach us about prayer, and they'll show us that prayer and life are interconnected. And so the Psalms will be our teacher, our grandmaster, to teach us how to live and to pray, and to show us that those are actually the same thing. So Psalm 19, if you want to Google it, no problem, there's Bibles in the seat back in front of you. I'm going to go ahead and read to us this psalm. This is a psalm written by King David. We're not sure the situation in which he wrote it, but it says, To the choir master, a psalm of David. So it's one that David wanted to be sung amongst all the people. The song says this, The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them He has set a tent for the sun which comes out like a bridegroom leaving His chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. 
and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired they are than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant from, your, from presumptuous sin. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Would you pray with me and ask God to open up this text to us? Father God, we give this next 30 minutes or so to you. We pray, God, that you would enlighten uh, our hearts and our minds, that, that the two would come into conjunction and that we might see through this text what you want to tell us, uh, both about nature and about your communication to us uh, and, and about what we should do in response to both of those. God, we just thank you for this community. We thank you for the chance to come and consider your truth. We thank you that you are consistent and day after day, you provide a chance for us to connect with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So it's a beautiful psalm, right? Do you like it so far? It's an amazing proclamation of who God is. And just so you know, we will spend the majority of our time in the first half of the psalm. Verses 1 to 6. But it doesn't mean that the psalm is disconnected. You see there's these two big categories. God revealing Himself through nature and God revealing Himself through the law of the Lord or His Word, the Bible. We're going to spend our, a majority of our time in those first six verses. And I want to make five, actually, let's make it four observations about this text. The first is this. We're called to look up. We're called to look up because it says that the Lord God has a ministry through the sky. And it doesn't mean that the ocean and the trees and the flowers and, and the animals are not part of God's ministry to us, but I think it does tell us that His ministry starts with the sky. There's this preeminence to the sky in the ministry of the Lord. And, and we see that when we read the creation narrative. We see that God first creates the heavens. And when He says the heavens, He's speaking of the universe, the cosmos, the sun and the moon, the stars in the sky. So I think that's the first place we should look. Up into the sky. Now I don't think it's a coincidence that Human beings are erect animals, which means to say we stand on two feet, not four, which means what? It's much easier for us to look up to the sky. I think God knew that it was through the ministry of the sky that he would tell us something about who he is. When's the last time you looked up into the stars? It was the last time you just stopped and pondered at the moon? It was the last time you marveled at the power and brilliance of the sun? Second observation is this. It says, day to day, it pours out speech. God is speaking through creation. And the speaking, David writes, is a pouring out. 
And the word here literally means like a gushing forth. Like it can't be stopped. Like it's just unending. It's just overflowing. The ministry of creation is overflowing with communication from God. It pours out. It gushes forth. Every time you see a sunrise, every time you see the lavender hue and a sunset, every time you see the clouds disperse and you get a sneak peek of the stars living in the city, every time that moon glows, God is gushing forth speech to you. He's saying something to you. I was thinking about it this week. Uh, maybe this is helpful, maybe it's not. Nature is like God's emojis. Helpful? They, they say a lot. They say a lot. They're not, they're not the written word, like, like the law of the Lord in the second half of the psalm. They're not like a text message. They're an emoji. They say a lot with, an image. Now what we do see as well is that these emojis need explanation, right? Because we've all sent an emoji that we thought made sense and then we realized it really offended somebody or totally miscommunicated, right? Which is why we have both general revelation and, and God's creation and then He clarifies for us through the written Word. So the breakdown of this structure in the psalm actually explains how this works to us because, you see, God's got two main books that He's written. The first book we see in verses 1 to 6. This is the book of nature. This is what we could call wordless revelation. It's the loudest, actually. It has the broadest sweep. It's these divine emojis. Very efficient to gush forth information about God. And then the second book, that's the good book. It's the Word of God. This is the written revelation. This is the clearest. This is the detailed account that explains for us the emoji. You ever done that? You sent somebody emoji and then you wrote them a text to say, hey, just so you know, this is what I meant by that. I'm not crying because I'm sad. I'm crying because I'm laughing. Those are hard to know. Which, I, I, I sometimes ask younger people in my life which emojis mean which things because I, I get very confused, especially about the crying emojis. I'm not sure. So we have the first book, Nature, the second book, the good book, and then we see in 11 through 14 the worshiper's response. And this is actually the most personal, right? And and you see how we're sort of zooming in. We're seeing the broadest, loudest communication of God, which is creation. And and then he clarifies. And he gets more detailed and explains to us through his word. And, And then in our response to him, when we respond to God's first two books, then it gets very, very personal. And we begin a personal communication with God. You see that all right here in Psalm 19. The third observation that I want to make is this word declare. So the heavens don't just hint at the glory of God. They declare the glory of God. Which is to say God is not silent. You heard people say that. Why is God so silent? He's not. He is declaring His majesty through His creation. Yes, it's wordless communication, but it's not a whisper. It's loud. It's a declaration of who He is. The voice of God in nature goes out to every nook, to every cranny of creation. Nothing, the psalm says, is hidden from the heat of the sun. Which is to say what? Everyone knows about the sun. And everyone has a chance to know about the creator of the sun because the sun doesn't whisper. It shouts. It declares. This declaration is abundant. Day after day, night after night, 
knowledge of God goes out. Not a moment exists. Right now, we can know something of who God is. Did you hear him? God is consistent. That is his reputation. You had any days where the sun didn't come up? Have any days where you didn't see a tree or a flower or the grass? He's consistent. You know, it's also interesting, the same moon that you see shining down on you is the same moon that shines down on Shanghai, on Moscow, on London. And not only that, it's the same moon that Shakespeare looked at when he wrote his sonnets. Nature is trans-geographical, it's trans-temporal, it's trans-language. And the result of it is that all men and all women can know God and can be held accountable to the knowledge of God because His declaration is so loud, so consistent, so abundant, so unending, that all peoples can know that there is a God. Romans 1 tells us this. Verse 19 says, Men by their unrighteousness suppress the truth, for what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them for His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. No one can ever say that God has gone silent as long as they're living and breathing in His world. Because His speech in the sky, in nature, is unbroken. It's clear and it speaks of a good, powerful, loving, thoughtful Creator. No one can hide behind the excuse that if I've just known that there was a God, then I would have looked harder to find out who He was. The declaration of God in nature bids all men and all women to consider further. It's where it begins. By looking up, seeing the heavens declare, there's no way, this is an accident. Fourth observation is this, the heavens declare the glory of God. So important. It's not that the heavens declare glory. It's that they declare the glory of God. I recently watched this uh, Hulu documentary called Batman and Bill. Has anybody seen it? Batman and... Am I the only one that does anything? Okay. Great documentary if you like Batman, but um, turns out uh, if you're a Batman fan, does anybody a Batman fan? Who's the creator of Batman? Bob Kane. This guy named Bob Kane. And Batman's like a billion dollar franchise. I mean, he's probably the most famous superhero of all time. I think, I think he's surpassed Superman for sure. And Bob Kane is the creator of Batman. Watch this documentary and you'll get a different opinion because there's another man, a quieter man, really the brains of the operation. His name was Bill. And Bob squeezed him out of all credits and all acknowledgement. Only until recently, if you saw the latest Batman movie, Bill gets his props. And it's fascinating. I think we've done the same thing a bit with God. We love his creation. But we've robbed God of his authorship. We've forgotten to mention him in the credits. Got to set the record straight. The heavens declare the glory 
of God. Now, let me try to tease this out a little bit more because I think it's important to understand. It's very, very simple to fall into the traps around the glory of God. Okay? So there's three postures we tend to take towards nature. The first posture goes like this. I call it the exploitive, expletive, exploitive posture. We use nature for our own glory. This is sort of the worst case scenario. We use nature. We exploit nature to make money. Right? It seems like the easiest way to understand it. Cut down a forest to make money. I'm not saying that logging is inherently evil. I'm just saying when you see nature and you look at a forest and all you can see is how much money you could make off of that. Something's broken. But we're probably not corporate tycoons. Any corporate? Let's talk afterwards if you're a corporate tycoon. I'll just talk to you a little bit about stewarding your resources. Okay. <laughs> but you're probably not. So I think there's a, a way we do this that's a lot more subtle. And actually, I want to give credit to Jordan Lake, who, when we were prepping uh, the, the music set for this week, and we read through Psalm 19, Jordan brought this up. And I thought it was very, very astute. He said, I think when I read this, what I picture is people taking pictures of themselves with nature in the background. Right? What are we doing to nature? We're exploiting her. We're using her to make ourselves look good. Because we know that people are going to look a little bit closer at our photo if we've got a great scenic view in the back. So we're exploiting nature. I thought, wow, that's so true. We're going to redeem that at the end of this talk. So stick with me. We've all been there. We've all done that. We've all tried to get likes and smooches and hearts and all the different things you can get by putting a really great background to us in the foreground. Interesting, right? That's the first posture. We exploit nature. The second posture is we are enchanted by nature. We, we see the beauty in nature in and of itself. We're enchanted by it. By its beauty. And you know what we tend to do? We tend to make nature our God. An idol. And, and we tend to praise it. And we bow down to it. We become its subjects. Or, and maybe a more subtle way, if, if you're a Christian, you might do this. And I think this is actually more dangerous because it's harder to see yourself doing it. Is that as Christians, sometimes we worship nature as if nature and God are one and the same. So we worship nature and we think we're worshiping God. You, you see how intensely we have to look at what we're doing? to make sure that we haven't falsely equated nature with God. Because nature and God are not the same thing. There's God who created nature. So, so we see this, and this has been a, uh, a subtle sin of human beings for all time. We know that because probably the oldest uh, book we have in the Bible, the book of Job, talks about this. In chapter 31, Job, if you know the story, Job goes through... Intense challenges from God. God. God allows every sort of persecution, every sort of evil to come upon Job to challenge his faith. And at some point, Job says, what have I done, God? I've been righteous. I've been a good man. And he starts to list all the things that he hasn't done, all the sins that he has not committed. And he, and he gets down his list and he says, and you know what? I've never even blown a kiss to the moon. Which is what? Worshiping the moon. 
It's always been a temptation. We say the moon's beautiful. Well, yeah. But the moon is not God. So, so don't miss this. God is not equal to nature. But nature, in a very real sense, is filled with the divine. And Psalm 19 shows us this, that nature speaks of the divine. Nature was created by the divine. Nature is, in a sense, the symbols and the words that God uses to communicate His character and His goodness. But you see, it's not God. So we have to be very careful to see God in nature as the Creator, but not to worship nature as if it were God. You know, this can happen too with the second half of Psalm 19. We can actually begin to worship the Bible as if it were God. But it's not. It's communication from God. It, like a tree, is a symbol of who God is and what He is like, and He's communicated to us. So, depending on sort of your starting point, you might fall into one or the other of those traps. Worshiping nature as God or worshiping the Bible as God. Neither is God. God is the creator and the author of both. And we see God, we know God through His communication. C.S. Lewis has this great analogy called is the analogy of the postman. He says this, there is a sense in which nature worship silences her. That's nature. As if a child or a savage were so impressed with the postman's uniform that he omitted to take in the letters. See what he's saying? If you go on a great hike and you're so impressed by the uniform of nature that you forget while you're there to see what it is God's trying to tell you, the words that He's speaking to you through that beauty. It's like forgetting to take the mail when the postman shows up because you love that uniform. It's easy to do that. If you don't think you've ever done that, it's probably because you've only done that. Because I, I do this all the time. Posture three is the correct posture. It is not exploiting nature. It is not being enchanted by nature. It is nature as revelatory. This is the right posture. So when we see creation as a message from God, about God, we learn to learn from nature what God is speaking to us. We know that God is trying to tell us something. If He is speaking, God never speaks in vain, does He? Do you think God's just a mumbler? You think He just can't stop Himself from talking? He's not a crazy uncle. God doesn't speak in vain. Every time He speaks, He's trying to communicate something very important to us. In the Bible, the Word of God, and in nature. This is His ministry. He's trying to help us. He's trying to minister to us. He's trying to give us good gifts. So we need to learn to interpret the message that He's giving us. So you might say, um, well, this is probably easier for us because we're the visual generation, right? We must be really good at seeing and interpreting the voice of God in nature because we're the visual generation, right? We do a lot better with the visual than our parents' generation, or our grandparents, or our great-grandparents, so we must be really good at this. We are a visual culture, not a linguistic culture. Uh, not so fast. <laughs> not so fast. Because see, there's two kinds of seeing. There's active seeing, and then there's passive seeing. Active seeing 
means that you are construing what you see. You're working on it in your mind to find the meaning in it. Not necessarily verbal meaning, but you're trying to find the meaning in what you see. You're actively looking for patterns and design of the artist, whether that's God or man. You're looking for the communication. Passive is the exact opposite. You are just receiving whatever is being thrown at you. And for many of you, myself included, we are a generation that grew up on television. And television is a passive seeing. Television does not help you to build the skill of active seeing and interpretation and looking for meaning. So I think, to be honest, we really struggle with this, even though we're the visual generation. We struggle to interpret the messages God is giving to us from nature, to see what is being said, to hear the voice of God in nature. But everything is declaring the glory of God. Everything. He has not rambled in any way. It all speaks of Him as creator, as author, as designer, as lover. It all speaks of Him. So we have to learn how to listen, actively listen to the visual cues God is giving to us in nature. So how do you do this? Well, the first thing that we have to realize is that we are set up starting at a deficit because of the culture that we grow up in, which is to say everything is separated. Because the author of this psalm and the readers of this psalm originally, and most of the world over all time, they have been farmers. They're grown up as peasants, most people, which means that the land... And nature is not just something to be visited. It is something that is essential to life. You see how different that is than us? We go visit places. We go see nature. We don't live in nature. And so for them, for the Jews, and for most people at most times when they would read this, they would understand it. They would understand, of course, nature is more than just beauty to be appreciated or novelty. I've, I've never seen something like that before. That's so interesting. Wow. Hmm. Okay, next thing. That's, that's not how they approach nature. They, of course, see the beautiful landscape or the flower or the fresh water, or the grazing livestock, and they see the beauty in it, but part of their equation of beauty is understanding the provision of that for life and life to the full. They, they cannot even separate it. They, they wouldn't even understand us. They say, wait, what? You don't see that when you look at nature? Let me, let me give you an example here. When I look at a, a snow-covered Mount Rainier, what, what do I see? Or what do most people see when they fly in? Oh, that's so amazing. I've never seen anything like that. Right? Now, let's think of the three postures we could take towards a snow-covered mountain. The first posture, we could exploit it. And we see it and we say, wow, that's great. We could totally start a ski resort there. Make a lot of money. Second posture is this, we could see it and we could bow down before it and we could worship it. Or the third posture we could take is we could see the beauty of it, the design of it, the, the magnitude of it, and we could praise the creator of it, who is God. And not just praise him for its aesthetic, we praise him for its provision. Because you see what we see in the, in, in the white part of that mountain? Not just that. It's amazing how that white contrasts with the dark. We see that that will one day turn into fresh water that fills hundreds of streams that go out to many peoples and keep life going, keep crops 
growing. Keep kids fed. Keep livestock. See that? See how different? That's part of the beauty. So if you look at verse 6 again, where it says, nothing is hidden from the sun's heat. One, that's an exclamation of, everybody knows about the sun, but it's also an exclamation of, listen, we need the sun in order to have life, and that sun is not kept from anyone. Everyone has the necessity for life. It's part of the beauty of the sun. Not just its power, not just its heat, but its provision. Nothing is hidden from the sun's heat. So one of the reasons we miss the glory of God in nature is because we've totally detached beauty, the aesthetic, from need. Beauty and need have become separated because in our culture we need very little. At least we think we don't need anything because we've got access to everything. So let's do a little thought experiment. Put yourself in Palm Springs, California. Beautiful Palm Springs, California. Palm trees everywhere, green grass. It's amazing. And you look around and you see these palm trees and because we're from Seattle, we're like, wow, these palm trees are amazing. They're beautiful. They're novel. They're very, very neat. I love palm trees. Look how tall they are. Why don't they grow branches everywhere? Wow, this is so cool. Okay, now stop and put yourself in the middle of a desert. And you haven't had water in two days. And in the distance, you see a palm tree. Same palm tree you see in Palm Springs. You see it. It's all by itself. Which is more beautiful? Yeah. I think it's that one tree in the middle of a desert when you haven't drank water for two days. Because it's tied to the provision of God's creation. Because see, these palm trees, the reason they don't grow up here naturally is because they grow in arid climates. Because they can hold on to their water for long periods of time. We, we've got to figure out a way to reattach beauty and provision back together, to put meaning back in all that we see in nature. So when I see a sheep with a full jacket of wool I associate that with God's provision to keep God's people warm. He's the author of warmth. And I see it in the sheep. This is not easy to do because we're so far from Eden. We're so far east. We've got to find our way back. We've got to practice this. Practice seeing more than the aesthetic in God's creation. Seeing the provision. Now let me show you how this ties to the rest of the psalm. If you don't learn to see your dependency on God, you'll never learn to see the beauty that He's trying to communicate. Both in nature and His written word. So for instance, if you are unable to see the depths of your sin, you could call this the desert of your sin, if you cannot see that clearly, if you cannot see your need for fresh and living water, which is the grace of God, provided to you by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, appropriated to you by faith, if you do not know your need, then you will never understand the beauty when you read the Gospel story. You'll never understand it. You'll never actually get what God is trying to communicate, the depths of His love to you, if you don't understand your need. So let's go back to our Palm Springs analogy. If you're delusional and you think 
that you're in a pasture of greenery where water is abundant, which, by the way, is Palm Springs. It's just a lot of rich people brought a lot of water to the middle of a desert to give the illusion of abundance of life. Then, you'll live out your life based on a lie. And you won't grab the water when it comes near to you. You'll stay in the delusion. Now, now look, look at this. Go to verse 11 in the psalm and see this is exactly what David is saying. Look at this. He pleads to the Lord to remove his delusions. Verse 11. Moreover, by them, that's the word of God, your servant is warned. He's saying, thank you for giving me the law to warn me about all of this delusion that I'm living in. Because in keeping the law, there is great reward. Now look at this. Who can discern his own errors? Declare me innocent, God, from my hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. This is what he's saying. He's saying, there are sins that I'm involved in that I don't even know about because I'm living in my lie. God, forgive me of those sins too, even though I do not have an awareness to ask for forgiveness. Because I'm living in Palm Springs, thinking that I'm not living in the middle of a desert. I'm delusional. Help me, God, to see the depth of my need for your salvation and grace given to me by Jesus Christ. Because we cannot see things clearly, we need God's help. We need the Spirit of God to reveal in us our sin, for the Spirit of God to reveal in us, in nature, what God is trying to communicate to us. And we see David pleading for the Lord to do this. God, remove Remove the veil. And even forgive me if I never realize the lies that I'm living in. Because he realizes he has this predisposition to delusion. We all do. Because we're sinful. We're created sinful. We have this original sin that keeps our eyes from seeing the communication of God clearly and therefore seeing the magnitude of God's grace given to us in nature and the Word and in Jesus Christ. God, remove the delusion. Help me to live in reality. Help me to realize the depth of my sin, the drought of my soul. I've been living in the desert so long I don't even realize how dry I am. God, save me from myself. The cross, my friends, would be so much more beautiful if we really understood the depth of our need. Nature would be so much more beautiful if we really understood what God was trying to tell us. And here's some of the things I think he's trying to tell us through the ministry of the sky. He's saying this, I made this and I'm here. He's saying, you need me. This is all, you can see this all from just looking at nature. You don't even need the word for this stuff. You need me. I am for you. I am not against you. I am not going anywhere. Day after day, my grace is available to you. Enjoy me. My ways are higher than your ways. I am the author of life, not death. Life finds its way in my story. All of this, I believe, are communications that God is giving us through the created world. And then on top of that, he gives us this book to help us to go deeper and understand our sin, our need for him. So what is our response when we start 
seeing clearly, actively, when we start hearing God's communication through the heavens, through the sky, through all creation. Look at verse 14. It says this, God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And this word acceptable, is, it, it's coming out of the context of sacrifice. So when you would bring your sacrifice to the temple, you would pray, God, may this sacrifice be acceptable to you. So what is our acceptable sacrifice to God? Well, I think it's our praise. I think when we hear from God, our response is proper praise. That is what is acceptable to Him. And our praise should be seasoned with a full understanding and a full recognition of this, that God is the author of creation. Our Lord, verse 14 says, that God is the author of provision, our rock and our refuge, verse 14 tells us. God is the author of salvation, our Redeemer and Savior. Our praise must also be in full recognition of our own createdness, of our own dependence, of our own sinfulness. And our praise must lead us to awe, to humility, to confession and repentance. And when we do this, when we line all of these things up, God is creator, we are created, that puts us in awe. When we do all of these things, it realigns us on every level, body, spirit, and soul. And it puts us back, or starts to put us back into proper relationship with God the Father, through God the Son, by the power of God the Spirit, so that we might actually live out and worship and praise God as we were always intended to do. Turn with me quickly here to Psalm 150, the very last psalm in the Psalter. And it's just a beautiful picture of this. See, my Australian voice came out there. Beautiful picture of this. The Australians understand praise, by the way. They just get it, okay? Look at this. Psalm 150 says this. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipes. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with loud crashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord Praise the Lord. So if you don't think that prayer begins and ends with praise, you need to rework your idea of prayer. I tell Grayson this. There's a couple great things that Grayson has access to. One of them is this book called The Boy and the Ocean. It's great. The boy is sitting by the ocean and his mother tells, you, tells him, God's love is like the ocean. It's never ending. Completely big, God's love is special. And then he goes into the mountains with his dad, and he's sitting with his dad, looking out at nature, and his dad says, hey, God's love is like the mountains. You can't see around it, you can't see past it. It's incredibly big, it's never-ending, God's love is special. And then the boy and his mom and his dad are sitting, looking up at the stars. That's how it ends. You've got to buy this book if you're a parent. Or buy it for a niece or a nephew. And, it, and it, he's looking out, and you know what happens? The boy then says, hey, mom and dad, guess what? God's love is like the stars. Never ending. Too, too many to count. God's love is special. All right here. You didn't have to come to this sermon. You could have bought this book and got everything that you need. You've got to learn how to praise again. And it starts by learning how to listen to what God is communicating. And you got to do it with everything you have. With your pots and your pans, with your talents, with your money, with your boat, with your bikes, with your home brewing kits. You praise Him with everything that you have. You praise God. 
You figure out how to praise Him with everything that He's given you. And so one of the ways I want to teach us how to do this is something, I've mentioned this to some of you before, but I want to redeem that first idea I said where we tend to exploit nature by putting ourselves in an image with God's creation behind us. I want to redeem that. And here's, here's a simple way you could redeem that. I've done this a few times. I've been trying to tell people to do it. When you're in that moment and you see God's creation, and hopefully you're starting to learn how to hear what he's actually saying to you. Say you see that white-tipped mountain. I'm going to tell you to stop using your camera. You paid a lot of money for that. Take a picture. Feel free to put yourself in the picture if you want. But then, say what God's communicating to you through it. Say, I looked at this mountain and, and it reminded me that God is thinking way ahead of me about how he's going to bring me fresh water in those hot summer months. Praise be to God. And then you show what you do? Hashtag consider project. I'm not joking. And then, after thousands and thousands of people are hashtagging consider project, once a year we're going to get together and we're going to hold a big concert and we're going to montage this thing together with all these videos of people telling what they're learning about God through his creation, with these pictures, and we're going to celebrate all together a year of considering well. That's what we're going to do. But it's going to be a terrible video if it's just pictures of me <laughs> talking about, and then I saw a snow tip mountain. Okay, so if everybody's doing it, you just see we're trying to teach the city of Seattle, we're trying to teach the world, world how to consider again, how to look up and see and hear from God. Because he's not silent. He's trying to tell us about himself. We've just forgotten how to listen. Would you do that with me? Hashtag consider project. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are not silent that you speak and communicate to us through your creation and through your written word. God, you are, you are not struggling to speak. We are just struggling to listen and to understand what it is that you are saying. God, open up our hearts and open up our minds, God, that we might have a revolution of understanding that when we walk out of this place and we see your creation all around us, that we would start to see not just the aesthetic, but also the provision that is latent in each and every act of your wonderful hand. We pray this all because we know Jesus and we know that you've spoken to us through him. Amen.